Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 65. This week, we talk with Jonathan Turner about TypeScript. Carl finds a way to make Word output markdown. Visual Studio 2015 and .NET 4.6 get released. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Infragistics. Their developer toolkits provide Word class controls targeting Windows, Web, iOS, Android, Xamarin Forms, and more. Whether you're an individual developer or part of an enterprise team, they have something for you. Check out the latest today at infragistics.com. This week, we have Jonathan Turner. He's a program manager for the TypeScript team at Microsoft. He's been with the team since the early days of TypeScript, where he helped release TypeScript to the world. Now he's the proverbial cat herder that helps with everything from partnerships, project direction, the design of the language, to nitty-gritty details around releases. Welcome, Jonathan. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, this could not be any more timely, because uh, <laughs> we're recording this a few days ahead of publishing it. But um, just yesterday, uh, TypeScript 1.5 was released to the world. That's right. Yeah, it's been a long time coming too. Yeah, so this is just this is absolute perfect timing, and we've been we've been uh, planning this episode for about two months now. So this, this is just perfect timing. Okay, Carl, um, should we talk about feedback? Yes, this week the winner of the Infragistic Ultimate License is Suresh Mohan. Okay, uh, he says uh, via email, "Hi, Carl and Jason. I have recently become a listener to your show and have been enjoying all episodes." especially the episode with Mark on service fabric have demystified many things around this technology. I learned new stuff like leader selection and zookeeper. Uh, you asked all the right questions too. Uh, he does have a suggestion though. Um, he was wondering if we could add a section of the show called dev tip of the week, just like we have an app review of the week. And when Jason decides to do an Azure pick, of the hey, week. I picked one this week. You did, <laughs> but so I did my homework. You know, it, it has been something that I've actually been noodling about a little bit, and uh, I'm going to at least initially meet you halfway, and I'm going to have one today called Dev Tip of the Random Interval. Okay. <laughs> that that sounds perfect. Okay. And if you want to get mentioned on the show, send us feedback. You can send that to feedback at msdevshow.com. You can comment on many of the places that we have, like Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever. Um, and it seems like, Carl, that our feedback, people keep getting nicer and nicer. Is it just me or are they getting nicer? <laughs> Not to a certain degree they are, but you know what? It, it seems like a lot of people are being just really honest as well. Yeah. So, you know, we really do appreciate uh, hearing uh, what you guys have to say about us, uh, both positive and critical. And, you know, a lot of what you guys say has the opportunity to influence and shape the show. I mean, we're doing this for you guys just as much as we're doing it for ourselves. Yeah, we, we live off of this. OK, let's jump into the news. What do we got here? Palette, start changing the way you interact with your software. What is this? So th this is something that's uh, oh yeah you sent cool. this to it's, me this was really cool yeah it, it's little uh, input hardware devices that are programmable and they just kind of click together um, just to get it out of the way the one drawback of this is it's a little pricey um, but you get stuff like uh, uh, the you have the core piece which interfaces with your computer but you get buttons and dials and physical sliders so these these aren't like programmatic tools or controls or anything these are physical devices. That you can hook up like, you know, when I hit my button, you know, it'll launch an app or perform an action. When I do the dial or slider, I could maybe have it control the volume of the active window or, you know, anything you can think of to wire these hardware pieces up to software is just awesome. And I just I like it when you can have other ways to interface with your computer other than just your standard keyboard, mouse and yeah touch. Yeah, right right away what I thought of was Adobe Lightroom because I tend to go in there and I adjust exposure and whites and and blacks and things like that. And uh 
This would be and they so already awesome. have integration yeah. with uh, a lot of the <laughs> Adobe products as well. So that yeah. that makes that even simpler. You don't even have to perform that piece. Yeah, because you sort of navigate through the photos and adjust those things. And having that physically on my desk means I could put my left hand on there and I could sit there and adjust those. Um, so that's kind of appealing to me. I don't I didn't do a whole lot with photos, but this is really cool. Uh, okay, what's next? Uh, writage Markdown plugin for Microsoft Word. So this one looked really cool. So explain to me how this works because I love Markdown. So. Everybody knows we're both a fan of that. What this is, it's a plugin for Word that will, as you mark it up, it looks nice. It looks like all your Word templates. When you save, you can save to Markdown as a target. And then as your output, you'll get that nice Markdown file with, you know, all the syntax that you're used to in Markdown. So if you want to use Word just to, you know, do all your styling and stuff, but at the end of the day, you need Markdown as an output. For example, our website runs off of it. Uh, it, it could potentially save you a step or two, depending upon what you're doing. Yeah, this is cool because I have people telling me, you know, as easy as Markdown is, people are just a little bit afraid of just learning something new like this. And uh, this might get them over the hump to say, well, just do it in Word, you know, because I know a lot of people want to do um, uh, what is it? Windows Live Writer. And I think it's just because of that um, comfort blanket. So this is uh, this is pretty cool. Periodic table of DevOps. Yeah, everybody's familiar with what the periodic table of elements look like. Uh, somebody put together a nice grouped uh, set of tools in the shape of a periodic table. So you'll see stuff like there's a database group that are colored kind of like the periodic tables colored. And you'll see stuff like MongoDB and Postgre and uh, Microsoft SQL and MySQL and all that stuff. But you also have uh, deployment tools as well. So Capistrano and Juju and Code Deploy and all, all a bunch of other things. I just think it's kind of a cool uh, way to visualize some of the different uh, DevOps style tools that are out there. Oh, this is kind of cool because, yeah, you can pick like you can look at just the source control, for example, and see you can just sort of look down the category. So you might be able to find a technology that you haven't used before. Yeah, and you can hover over the different yep. the uh, the I forgot what the key or whatever it is, and it'll highlight that section. What you know, whether it's the deployment tools or the cloud or the monitoring BI yep. stuff. And when you hover over the individual thing, it'll get a little bit larger, so you can uh, yeah, and um, you can click on it and actually you can go there, it and you can click on it and you'll see more uh, information about it. It's it's you know very simple but very well done. Okay, is TypeScript on here? I don't see it. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite a DevOps tool. Yeah, yet, well, they got Go on here. But no, yeah, they don't have all the, if they added languages in, that would be kind of crazy. Uh, okay. Introducing open salaries at buffer. Oh, this I hadn't heard about this one. No. So this, this is an interesting concept. Um, uh, you know, Jason and I really, you know, like to be open about what we do when it comes to, you know, code, um, procedures, methods that we, you know, way we do things, our workflows, um, and to a person, to a certain degree, I know not everybody's comfortable with this. There are a few people that I do share stuff like my salary with, but this is a, a company at Buffer. We are right, both Jason and I use this product uh, extensively. They said, not only are we going to make the salaries uh, available to everyone within the company, but just period, you can go to the link in the blog post and see what not only what everybody makes, but the uh, the methodology on how they calculate how somebody should be paid. These are the actual people on the list here. Those are the actual people. <laughs> and they said they went through and they cleared it. So they didn't put last names, but they have first names. So uh, at the bottom of the list, there's Kat. She's an uh, engineer. They have her at Intermediate Experience. She's at Location B. And the, the location just, you know, if you live in an expensive area, they'll give you a little bit more if you live you. in San Francisco. Uh, their seniority, whether they've uh, chosen equity or salary, you know, whether they get equity in company or more money, uh, their position into the company. So the first few people were, you know, might get a little extra bump and what their output salary is where she makes or he, I don't know what cat is, 
$78,000 a year. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of different ways to be open. Um, I know a couple of weeks back, there was uh, some threads on Twitter, people talking about if we were more open about our salary, we would all could be a little bit more competitive. So we would know, you know, what should we be asking? Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is cool. Though. I like that they put the formula up there. That's, that's the cool part to me that they've, you know, sort of quantified this into a formula. I think that's kind of neat. Uh, okay. And the last one that we have here, .NET Framework 4.6. So this was released, what, yesterday? Yesterday, yes. Ooh, man, there was a lot so, of good y- stuff released yesterday. So yesterday, along with .NET 4.6, uh, Visual Studio came out as well, 2015. Mm-hmm. And uh, just, I mean, just sticking to this .NET 4.6 thing, I mean, there's a lot of things that came out. Um, some of the things that I had even forgotten, like uh, in WPF and WinForms, there's high DPI improvements to make your apps just look better by, you know, changing a few settings, mm-hmm. uh, better support for touch, uh, Ryujit, um, the Roslyn stuff, uh, uh, was released as well. You can check all that out on their GitHub page. I mean, I'm not going to go through all these, but I mean, this is, I mean, it's a really, um, thorough, uh, explanation of you know, what was all updated with even code examples. They show you for the async improvements, um, they give you actual code examples of what the improvements oh, wow. were. This is like a super long post. <laughs> it, it is super long. This I'm is scrolling. I'm like, oh, that, wait, wait a second. There's more. There's more. There's more. And this kind of follows on, you know, what we talked about last week. Uh, was it last week was uh, Jerry Nixon? Uh, yes. Okay. So last week we had we had talked to Jerry Nixon. I know he was talking about WPF and the investment there. And I do see that. Um, yeah, there have been some really important improvements in WPF. So this is just more more evidence of that. So very cool. Okay, so let's talk about something totally different, which is TypeScript. <laughs> so, Jonathan, you ready to talk about TypeScript? Let's do it. Okay, so I I, I got to imagine that that pretty much everybody, it, all, all developers, have probably heard about it. But you know, let's kind of get everybody to a common ground here. You know, what is TypeScript, and uh, and why should I be interested? Why would I want to use it? Sure. So, TypeScript is I, I think the the way we like to say it is a, it's a type superset of the standard JavaScript language. Mm-hmm. Um, so you start with that standard, which was ES5, but now recently is ES6, this ECMAScript 6 standard. And then on top of that, we add a couple of features. So the main one, of course, is in the name TypeScript. You've got a type system. And mm-hmm. this type system is completely optional. You can kind of sprinkle it into your code wherever it makes sense for you and your code. Um, and then we do some error checking, and we also have this nice IntelliSense story. You know, just like we've been doing at Microsoft with Visual Studio for years, languages like C Sharp, having really accurate um, auto-completion and, and IntelliSense lets you, as a developer, kind of build confidence in your code as you're as you're you know building up your application, being able to just jump into the JavaScript APIs or to the HTML DOM, and then have that just like perfectly complete the whole API for you gives you a kind of a nice way of editing your code. So TypeScript gives you this, this uh, type system, but it also gives you kind of what you'd say, like features from the future, right? So next versions of JavaScript will have things like async await, uh, decorators, and you can't really use these today because you know, browsers don't really support those you know, features. But you can have what's called a transpiler, which allows you to compile down from, you know, for example, ES7 to ES5, and then deploy that. So you've got uh, kind of that side of it. That's more of a compiler side. So you've got the type checking and this transpiling side. And together, that kind of forms what, what the TypeScript story kind of is in a nutshell. 
Yeah, I remember I was there at, uh, it was PDC, I want to say PDC 2009, and I wasn't working for Microsoft at the time, and that's when uh, Anders had introduced it to the world, and I was actually, I was sitting, I don't know, 20 feet away from him, and, uh, you know, I, I remember his comment was, you know, like, JavaScript was starting to get popular, and he was saying that, you know, a, a large JavaScript code base is just you know, unmaintainable. And there's, there's probably people that would disagree with that and they would probably have some organizational methods, but in general, I, I, I agree with that. I have a project I'm working on now where as I'm adding code, it's getting the, the complexity is sort of going exponential. So I definitely want to talk to you about how, how I would, I would go about, you know, integrating TypeScript into that. Cause I think that's one of the, uh, one of the answers, but I, uh, you know, I, I totally agree with that where you have, it's nice being able to layer in a type system into JavaScript. And for me, that's, that's sort of the essence of, of TypeScript is that layering in of, of a type system and being able to be as typed or as dynamic as I want. So I can have all the awesome stuff that I get in .NET, but I can also have all the awesome stuff that I don't have to worry about in JavaScript. That's right. And with ES6, you also have modules and classes. So for the first time in mm-hmm. JavaScript itself, you have the ability to do real OO and real modular programming. Right. Uh, and some of the feedback that we're getting with people that are picking up TypeScript, I think in some sense, a lot of them are picking up ES6 for the first time too. So they're getting some of that benefit and they're starting to be able to write code that, oh, I can read it when I go back to it you know, a few months later. Uh, and so it has that kind of nicety to it. So I was looking at um, what uh, the playground page. So at typescriptlang.org slash playground. And I was able to kind of get a feel for the differences between TypeScript and JavaScript. I was wondering if you could uh, talk a little bit more to that, you know, what the, the differences are, are and what the uh, um, difficulty would be for somebody who's you know, proficient in JavaScript to learn uh, TypeScript. So if you're proficient in JavaScript, moving to TypeScript, I think you can kind of do this over, over a set of stages, you know, some people might want to dive in and just learn a whole bunch of uh, type theory, but uh, I, I think for a lot of JavaScript <laughs> programmers, they aren't that 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 style of programmer. Uh, they just want something that gives them some help out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the probably one of the easiest ways to get help right out of the gate, if you're if you're using um, a tool like Visual Studio Code, is that it allows you to use uh, what are called DTS files. These are uh, these are uh, files, kind of like if you've used C before, they're like header files. So these you know, header files give the type information for various JavaScript platform, uh, libraries, and you can put this DTS file. So for example, uh, you know, maybe I have Ember, and that's what I'm using in my project, and then I've got the Ember DTS file. I put that in my project too, and now uh, VS Code will start doing autocomplete even inside of a JavaScript file because it sees the DTS file and kind of fill in that type information. So there's no, there's no error checking at that point, but you basically are getting some of the experience okay. of what it's like to start using TypeScript. Yeah. And that's a, that's a really easy way to kind of ease into uh, that world. Do I, do I still, still see the, the types that it's, it's requesting? You know, so if I'm calling a, a function, do I still see this, this takes an int and a string even if I'm in JavaScript, or do I only get that when I'm on the TypeScript side? Yeah, you get that even in JavaScript side. Okay, in the, so in even VS that's useful. Experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it gives you some documentation if you want. Yeah, it doesn't enforce and, it, but you get the documentation. That's right. So then I kind of think of it like a dial. You can, so that's kind of dial, setting the dial pretty low. You can mm-hmm. turn up the dial by taking a JavaScript file, renaming it to a you know, from JS extension to a TS extension, 
and then you're going to start getting some of your error checking. So the compiler will then kind of look through the code, try to do as much inference as it can, and then it will see anything that mismatches, it will squiggle, like a red squiggle, just like VS. So, so you mentioned DTS files, um, and that reminded me about the definitelytype.org webpage. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and its importance? Yeah, absolutely. So definitely typed is a huge part of the TypeScript experience. Uh, if you're using any library outside of JavaScript, uh, outside of your, your project in JavaScript, which you probably are, you know, there's tons of these, you know, Angulars and Embers and, you know, Durandal and Backbone, you name it, right? There's tons that you're probably going to use for any particular project. And so it's really helpful to have like a fully documented API for each of these libraries. What definitely typed is, is and in fact, this started uh, when we first released TypeScript in October 2012, we kind of made it public. It was kind of internal before then, and we were just kind of previewing it. When we made it public uh, in 2012, like maybe maybe two weeks after we went public, definitely type started. So that someone said, oh, this is great. Let's start actually writing these DTS files uh, and sharing them with people. So they, cool. they, they kind of took it, and the kind of open source took, you know, took off and kind of grew its own wings. And it went from a couple of files uh, back in 2012 to today, it's like nearly a thousand DTS files of various JavaScript frameworks and libraries. And it's, you know, just like I was saying, it's kind of like a fully documented API with all the type information. And a lot of them even have um, like uh, code comments that have, you know, usage and, and whatnot kind of spilled out for you. So you can get IntelliSense that it describes how to use each of the functions. So it's really helpful. Very cool. So I opened up Visual Studio Code and I actually, here's what I did. I went to the TypeScript Playground, which is at typescriptlang.org slash playground. And then there's a whole bunch of examples there. And what's really cool about it is it shows you the TypeScript, but then it automatically shows you the corresponding JavaScript. So I opened up Visual Studio Code. I created a file. I just called it test.ts. And without installing anything other than Visual Studio Code, and I just paste it in um, like the, the class example from the uh, playground into Visual Studio Code, and uh, boom, I have magical IntelliSense, which is uh, which is really cool that I didn't have to really do anything because a lot of these technologies, like you have to go through all this work to to get stuff installed, and um, you know it's just kind of a pain to get started. And I got to do it on every single one of my machines, so I, I like that. So how do I? You know, so I, I see, you know, I do JavaScript. I see how I can do TypeScript. What I've really been struggling with is how I mix the two. You said that you could, you know, you can start with JavaScript, but I mean, at some point I have to, I have to like rename my file to a TS um, so that it knows that it's TypeScript or, or do I end up like sort of creating a new file? Like how do, how do I, how do I just migrate? So there's a couple of ways that we've seen people migrate. Um, one is incremental. So you just do one file at a time. Mm -hmm. uh, when you're working with JavaScript, if you start working on a larger project, you're probably going to you know, want to do minification. You're going to want to do some optimization of the code before you deploy. Mm -hmm. uh, so you've probably already got a build step in your, in, your, you know, in your dev workflow. So maybe you're using Grunt or Gulp or one of these yep. kind of systems. So you can get the TypeScript extension for your particular build system and then you know, install that and then tell it to go ahead and, and compile the TypeScript file. So you can, you know, once you have that set up, you can just rename one JavaScript file to a TypeScript file, and it will go and do that build step for you and then deploy just like the rest of the JavaScript. Okay, perfect. Yeah, because I use like gulp serve to, to, you know, run the website locally. 
So I could just have it watch all the TS files. And if one of those updates, it could just regenerate the JavaScript file. Yeah, a lot of these have kind of watch functionality. And the TypeScript compiler itself can also watch. So you can stand it up uh, and have it watch, and then it can just be outputting the JavaScript, and then the rest of the system can kind of slurp those in. Okay. And then in my TypeScript file, can I have just JavaScript, or does it? do I have to sort of convert it over to TypeScript? So as long as it's valid JavaScript, it works as a TypeScript Oh, man, file. it has to be valid. <laughs> <laughs> if you have syntax you're, you're errors, you're you know, my abilities. <laughs> all bets are off. <laughs> but if you have, you know, syntactically correct JavaScript, yeah. uh, then then it, it will just pass through. It'll, it okay. may warn you if there's things that it can't figure out. Like, say, for example, you do a get element by ID, you kind of reach into your, right. your web page, pull out something that's really specific to your web page. It's not going to be able to guess what the type of that thing is coming back out. But that's okay. So you've got like, you know, the ability to cast types and stuff to squelch errors. Or you can just leave the errors in your project. And as long as it's you know, s- s- you know, valid JavaScript going in, it'll just output the same valid JavaScript. Okay. Okay, that makes my life a little bit easier. And then if I want to, if I have like some new TypeScript code and I want to call into that from JavaScript, um, it, this is going to be a stupid question. I don't even know how to ask the question, but are there any, are there any like complexities there? If I, if I am trying to do that, I'm trying to sort of call from JavaScript into my TypeScript code. I think actually one of the nice things about the TypeScript compiler is mm-hmm. that it tries to output really clean JavaScript code. So it's okay. like the JavaScript code that hopefully you would have you know, maybe written by hand. Yeah. So if you're in JavaScript, calling back to TypeScript is like seamless because it's like the code you would have just written. Okay, excellent. So since are my TypeScript's getting uh, compiled into JavaScript, what is the debugging experience like? Because now there's an, an extra step in there and uh, you know the browser isn't going to understand where that came from out of the box. One of the, one of the cool things that, again, kind of what the compiler does is uses this thing called the source map file. Mm-hmm. And source map is a standard that Mozilla uh, started writing a few years ago. And since then, Google Chrome and IE and Edge uh, have started supporting it, and of course, Visual Studio. So this source map file allows you to map from the JavaScript back to the original source code that, that was compiled uh, to that JavaScript. So you can, you can debug you know, the, the actual TypeScript code in Chrome or in IE or whatnot. Um, oh, it will actually show me the TypeScript in the browser. Yeah, and you can set the okay. breakpoints oh. and stuff in there. That's awesome. And then the IntelliSense, I mean, they're not the, if I hover over a variable, like it's going to show me the values. Because, yeah, because TypeScript is so close to JavaScript, uh, for 95% of the time, you can just hover over it and get the same, the same value out. That is awesome. Okay, cool. <laughs> and then whenever I was doing some research on this, because I've, I've sort of dabbled in this, so that's why there's, there's some things that I, that I know a lot about in TypeScript and some things I'm a complete idiot. But um, I noticed people were talking about like, um, it was either Babel or Babel and also Flow. And uh, Flow I looked at because it, it looks like it's trying to add a type system on top of JavaScript. Um, one of the issues I had with it is you can't even install it on Windows. Uh, but I'm just kind of curious how it how it compares to those projects or, you know, if you've looked at those projects. Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, Babel is another transpiler, just like, you know, TypeScript can compile ES6 style code with, that has modules and classes mm-hmm. and compile that down to uh, ES5 code so they can run anywhere. Um, there are other projects that do that kind of transpilation. Babel is definitely one of the most popular right now um, that that does basically that and that alone. It tries to be like world's best transpiler. Uh, and it covers a whole bunch of ES6 and even some ES7 in there. Um, 
And so, yeah, that's, it's a really cool project. The Flow, um, Facebook Flow is another way of type checking JavaScript. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a lot of similarities, like they borrowed quite a bit of, of the type system and, and way of annotating types that TypeScript uh, had been using. And then they, they kind of tweak a few things so that it works better in how Facebook writes code internally. Um, so, you know, depending on your project, that may work if, you know, you, you write code in, like, specifically, like, the Facebook way. Um, I think one difference there with TypeScript is TypeScript tries to be how you type all JavaScript in the web as best as possible. So we don't really limit what you can describe. Okay. And it just seems like TypeScript just gives me just about everything that I need. Um, obviously, I need these other libraries and that, but I don't. I don't have to sort of cobble together a couple different things to, you know, to get the ES6 support plus the type support and those types of things. I think that might be, yeah, one advantage of the the TypeScript approach. It's kind of an all-in-one, yeah, uh, all-in-one thing. Uh, that said, though, I mean, we're definitely open to working with other projects and ways that we can kind of, uh, you know, you can mix and match or plug together solutions that work best for your project. Because I think okay. one of the things that that the JavaScript community really, um, really does well is it's very kind of agile, likes to plug and play. It likes to kind of mix and match things so that mm-hmm. it, they work well together. And I think we kind of want to play as best as we can in that. Right. Um, so, you know, with, with uh, ES6 or ECMAScript 6, which is, you know, my understanding is basically the next version of JavaScript, it adds a whole bunch of cool features that, that TypeScript sort of brings to the table today. But, um, you know, with when ES6 is widely available, Am I still going to want to use TypeScript, or or is it going to replace that? I mean, what what is that landscape going to look like when that happens? Yeah, I mean, if you only want classes, and like mm-hmm. that is your thing, right? Uh, and all browsers support classes in like two, three years, or you know, whatever. Uh, you may not need a transpiler that can support that kind of thing. I think the value for TypeScript uh, specifically is that we've been building up a whole bunch of tools. And a whole bunch of like error checking and logic, so that you can write an application and have that higher confidence or have that nicer editing experience. Uh, so it's even even if ES6 you know comes to prominence, there's still you know there's still going to be reasons for TypeScript to stick around. Okay. And and some of the things that we're seeing now too is like ES7 coming into prominence. You know maybe in the, in the horizon, some of the features that are are, are going into that like async await and, and decorators. Um, are things that people are already putting in libraries today, are already trying to use, are using things like TypeScript and Babel to compile down. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's always going to be a reason to have tools like a transpiler in your tool chain so you can get those those latest features. Okay, so you're sort of like the the front of the wave, and and I think what's what's really cool about this too is you're you're I think you're proving out a lot of these things um, so that you know once. Once they start evaluating what should go into the spec, they can say, well, look, it was used successfully in TypeScript for the last year and a half, and they have an awesome implementation. I'm yeah. assuming that they would look at that then. No, that's exactly right. And in fact, how the standards body works, uh, I've had the good fortune of sitting on the JavaScript standards uh, off and on for the last few years uh, as part of like my TypeScript work, mm-hmm. is that with the more recent standards, you have to have implementations that show how this works and show that it's valuable in practice before it can even be put into the JavaScript language. So it had to, that's partly how ES6 works, and with ES7, that's become like the standard for how uh, features make it into the language. One of the other things, speaking of TC39, that, um, that uh, 
which is the JavaScript standards body, that that they're doing now, which is different than they've done in the past. So ES6 took you know years, probably like six or seven years before it was standardized. And before that, it was many years since the, the previous uh, version of JavaScript. They're totally changing up how they're doing uh, the JavaScript standardization efforts so that now what they have is a one-year, or that, that's the plan, is a one-year cadence. So mm -hmm. there will be a new version of JavaScript coming out every year. Uh, that's going to be quite a lot of work to keep up with. I mean, right. with, with uh, browsers, a lot of browsers are switching to what's called the evergreen browser, which is like you don't, you don't uh, update uh, your browser like in a, in a heavy way. You just kind of like this lightweight update that's Yeah, updating. we're on Chrome 40 something now. Aren't right, you? exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I, I, I think that's the plan with Edge too. Yeah, I'm on 40, of, 43. And, and this is hilarious because I open the about and it says, do you want Google update to make changes to this computer? So it is actually updating Chrome right now. So I, I'm guessing right. I'm going to be about to be on 44. <laughs> yep. But the nice thing there is it kind of pulls people into the, the standards mm -hmm. uh, a lot faster than, you know, kind of in the past. Um, so this, this yeah, faster I, I e six cough, cough, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Which right. stuck around for a long, long time. Yep. Yep. And so to pull the web forward, we kind of had to get everyone on board. So one of the things is these evergreen browsers. And another thing is the, the transpilers and tools. So people can use the new features, um, and, you know, for the next few years, having a, having a tool like that's going to be really helpful. Yep. So I am on Chrome 44 as of right now, <laughs> this just in. <laughs> Carl, I got to interrupt this for just a second, and I want to talk about Infragistics. Yeah, if you comment uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, on our website, you have a chance to win the ultimate license from Infragistics. And this is pretty cool because it covers a lot of stuff. Um, they have controls for Android, iOS, Windows Phone, Windows 8, ASP.NET, MVC, WPF, jQuery, HTML5, just tons of stuff. And they even have stuff for Xamarin Forms. So if you're trying to hit all three major mobile platforms with one, they got controls to help you out there. If you need tabular stuff uh, with their grids, they got really cool controls to help make that look uh, just really sharp. Charting, gauges, barcodes, it's all pretty simple using their controls. And if you just have some uh, simple prototyping needs, they have a product called Indigo Studio too. It lets you get that prototype done so you can show this to the stakeholders and you know, sell your ideas. Yeah. What I love about that, you can just send them a link and they can actually navigate through the app. But uh, like you mentioned earlier, all of these controls across all these different platforms, this is great. I mean, most people don't just develop one type of app now. So being able to, to go and use these controls in every type of app all under one ultimate license is, is really big plus. If we don't select you uh, each week, you could try again next week. And if you can't wait, they have free demos, so you can try it out for a month, download the demos, and try it today. Yeah, check it out at infragistics.com. They're a free trial, so you have nothing to lose. And remember, each week, if we pick your comment on the show, you get the ultimate edition for free, which includes everything. We thank them for their support of the MS Dev Show. How does TypeScript work with something like CoffeeScript? Are they compatible, or are people using one more than the other? Um, or are they just for different audiences? I think in some sense they're just for different audiences. Um, a lot of CoffeeScript came from more of the Ruby style of programmer. Uh, that the programmer that was doing Ruby went to JavaScript, and then their eyes started to bleed. You know, they are the kind of people that maybe gravitated to the CoffeeScript approach. Uh, uh, one of the things that we're kind of seeing, and I, I don't know if this is like a, uh, an overarching change in the JavaScript community, 
but a lot of people needed the features like classes and modules that ES6 now makes available. So a lot of people that went to CoffeeScript to get that nice syntactic sugar now can just go straight to the JavaScript language itself. So I think we're going to see some migration of people to ES6. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so I'm curious uh, if you can name any of the any large projects that are using TypeScript today to sort of give people confidence about you know how important this is. Sure. So in in Microsoft, mm -hmm. uh, we use TypeScript quite a bit. Um, one of the largest projects is the Azure Web Portal. So like the whole web experience when you go to Azure, all that's written in TypeScript. Last count, six months ago, it was over 1.4 million lines of code. Wow. Uh, so it is a hefty application. <laughs> it's quite it's quite intense. Okay. Uh, there are other, you know, Xbox uses it. If you open IE11 and you open your F12 tools, like the dev tools for uh, web dev, yeah. all of that's written in TypeScript. So it's wow. hundreds of thousands of lines. Outside of TypeScript, outside of TypeScript, outside of Microsoft, there are um, uh, a lot of companies that are that are starting applications or building applications in TypeScript. Lots of financial institutes are using it. Software and hardware companies are using it and stuff. Um, so, but yeah, if you want kind of like the one, oh my gosh, I cannot believe they built something like that in a language that's that close to JavaScript, I would definitely say the kind of the Azure folks are, are really doing some impressive work. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And then also like uh, Visual Studio Code, in my understanding, is that's, uh, that's written in TypeScript as well, right? That's right. So the, the playground that you mentioned earlier is uh, part of this project called Monaco. Yep. It's, it's kind of like an IDE in the web browser is, is kind of one way to think of it. That's all written in TypeScript. In fact, they were one of the first early, early, early adopters of TypeScript back way in the early days. And, and it's good. Like the, the, the Monaco stuff that you're talking about. I mean, it's like Visual Studio on the web and it, it sort of felt like it never took off. And then we said, uh, or I should say, you know, Microsoft said, hey, now we have Visual Studio Code and this is in TypeScript. And I, it's it's a lot of that same code, right, from Monaco? It is Monaco, yeah. It's yeah, basically yeah, yeah. Monaco so, hosted in a portable kind of, you know, application layer kind of thing. Yeah, so it, it was amazing, though, the amount of attention it got, even though it's been around for a long time, um, just slapping a different label on it and turning it into a desktop app um, made it significant, you know, for people. And uh, it seems like it got a lot of popularity, but I think it also shows the portability, you know, the fact that you can make a desktop app out of it uh, using the same code that runs in the web on all the different browsers. Um, I think that's, uh, that's, that's really powerful and it's showing some of the things that you can build with this. It's really impressive. Yeah. And I think finding the right, the right mode to, to show it to people, right? Cause we were showing them, all right, yeah, you can use VSO, you can use Monaco and like mm -hmm. whatever, whatever. When you actually put it in a in an application that they can really sink their teeth into, that that's really where it took off. And I think the story around being cross-platform and you know Mac developers finally having something called Visual Studio on their Macs, I right. think, opened a lot of eyes. Right. So we also have a link here to a uh, t from the TypeScript blog about this some uh, developer survey that they did, and I I think Jason, you wanted to go through a few things on here, right? Um, it was a while ago that I looked at this. Because I think we had put this on here a long time ago, um, so I'm, I'm not sure what I wanted to pick out of here. But yeah, there was there. Were, I know there was a, a TypeScript survey that went out, um, and it was talking about like number of lines of code, um, how often they were using it, things like that. So sort of the, the going to make me pull this up because I haven't looked at this in ages. Yeah, it's so, it, it is so you, it's from you know, a couple months ago. 
some of the things that I got from it. So th- this was essentially, as far as what I interpreted, people who are using TypeScript, you know, how are they using it? Mm-hmm. So, you know, out of people who are using it, uh, almost 70% were using them on public facing websites and 55% were using it on non-public, non-public web pages. So and I just thought, you know, the people that are using it, you know, the code is, it, they're using it on sites that you might already be using and not realizing. Well, and, and the interesting thing here, right, is that you don't even, your browser doesn't know what TypeScript is, right? So your, your exactly. browser is getting JavaScript, you know, and it's just executing, you know, just happily not really knowing that it ever was TypeScript, but the developer is able to take advantage of all these great things. And I, you know, I know Jonathan was talking about those, but that, that's, that seems like a really big deal to me being able to uh, use classes as an example without having to deal with kind of the ugly JavaScript prototype syntax and um, being able to add in that type system. Cause you know, I'm, I'm working on a project right now that's in GitHub. It's this Azure resource visualizer. If you look at my GitHub page, it's not, not important for the discussion, but um, the, you know, as I'm adding code, not having a type system in there is absolutely killing me. I'm just dealing with these console errors now saying that, you know, icon is, is not defined on, on undefined or whatever. Um, because, you know, I'm passing this object that I'm making all these assumptions about the properties are in there. And it's just, it's just horrendous, you know, trying to, to scale that up. And that's why I'm extremely interested in using this to, to layer in some types. I think that's going to make my life a lot easier with that project. Yep. One of the funny you should mention it um, early in TypeScript's life, we had people that were just normal JavaScript contractors that got turned on to TypeScript and said, "Oh wow, you know this error checking and, and kind of this tooling story. This is great. This is how I want to write code." And because the JavaScript that the compiler output, you know, it's kind of like like the handwritten code. They just <laughs> slipped it into their projects and didn't tell anyone they were doing it. So they were like checking in the JavaScript, yeah, not yeah. the TypeScript, and like keeping That's the right. TypeScript from themselves. <laughs> <laughs> so because, you know, TypeScript was early on, you know, this was probably even before 1.0. So yeah. they didn't want to tell anyone they were using beta software for their paid, you know, customers. Um, but yeah, they loved it. Well, in, in that case, I mean, it doesn't seem like a big deal using beta software because it's, it, like you said, it's a transpiler. So you can look at the output code. And, uh, I, man, that's, that's really cool. Yeah, and then if anybody ever looked at it, would be like, man, this developer is super consistent about how they're doing this stuff. <laughs> Every they time you write a class, dead it's on. the same way. Yeah, <laughs> they're just <laughs> dead on. And, and their product, productivity is so much better. <laughs> but uh, an, another announcement that was done this past spring that really caught at least myself off guard was that uh, Angular 2 is now going mm-hmm. to be built on TypeScript. And I was wondering if you could tell us what kind of what, what kind of impact uh, does this have for Angular developers? What does it mean to them? So for Angular developers, I think one of the, the first things that happened, actually, happy accident, Visual Studio Code was released fairly soon after we announced Angular 2 was going to be built on TypeScript. At first, I think a lot of developers were like, great, but how does that help me? Like, I don't have Visual Studio on my Mac. Uh, and then, you know, ah. a month or so later... All these web developers are like, oh, this is, this is, you know, it's almost like Microsoft is, you know, really synchronized and thinking ahead. Now, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Crazy. yeah, they pick up Visual Studio Code. They start writing some of the TypeScript examples that we did for uh, Angular 2. And they're like, wow, I get it. You know, kind of have that same experience I was talking about earlier. Like, they, they pick it up, they try it out. They're getting IntelliSense for all these even features from ES7 that aren't even shipping yet that uh, uh, Angular 2 uses. 
they get you know the same kind of uh, the same kind of tooling experience. But this is the first time they're seeing it. You know, us as Microsoft people, we're so used to like high quality IntelliSense that you know it's almost like second mm-hmm. nature. It's not that big of a deal um, because we're so used to it. But if we had to not have it, that's when we would feel the pain. I think you know, flipping the coin over, if this is the first time you've ever seen IntelliSense and it's like high quality, it's it's very eye-opening. I think that's one of the things we're seeing. Very cool, because I love Angular and um, everything I've seen on Angular and TypeScript so far has confused me, but that's my fault, not uh, not TypeScript <laughs> or Angular's fault, I'm sure. Um, I haven't, I just haven't started a project with that yet. Um, it's, a, it's a fairly sophisticated thing. I remember yeah. I, I did, a, you know, since helping out like early on, I've been trying to learn Angular 2 and, and kind of build larger apps with it. Yeah. Uh, you start realizing why they do what they do later on. At first, right. you're just kind of like repeating. Um, but because it's, it's kind of built up over the years of experience of working with these large apps at Google and whatnot. Yep. Uh, some that of the experience patterns, is built in. Exactly. And then you start using it like, oh, now I know why they did it that way. But it takes you a little while to get to that. Yeah, you're swearing along the way. And then at the end, you're like, man, I'm an idiot. <laughs> like, I'm glad that they, <laughs> they did it this way. Yep. Um, so TypeScript 1.5. So let's talk about what's new in there. I know I, I noticed the uh, in the announcements, you were actually the one that had the blog post on it, which is awesome. And I know you talked about some of the new features and there was even a video of you, which was great. And you walked <laughs> through all that. Right. Um, and we'll, we'll put a, we'll have a link to that in the show notes so that people can go check that out. But, uh, just, just so our listeners have kind of a high level, you know, like what is new in one five, I, I have sort of a, a list here and I don't know if, if this is the list you want to talk about, but I have like modules, decorators, four of loops, computed properties and a let slash, um, I don't know how you call it const, you know, for constants. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't know if there's any of those specifically you want to talk about what you're excited about. So the, the kinds of things that I'm excited about for the 1.5 release, obviously this has been a long time coming. Mm-hmm. We, we knew uh, going into 1.5 that we had to make a huge jump in the amount of, type of, of ES6 that we supported. So we were a little bit behind the curve in 1.4, and we wanted to jump so that we're getting pretty close to where transpilers were. We've got a little bit of ways to kind of finish closing the gap, but um, we're way better than we were you know, three months ago. So that's definitely one of the, the main things. So now you can use ES6 modules, you can use all kinds of like um, the, new, the new kind of syntactic sugar that ES6 allows you to use. Uh, of the ES6 features, of course, the, the main ones, we've had classes in TypeScript before, um, but having kind of this rich class syntax, super helpful for writing object-oriented code. Mm-hmm. Having a nice standard module syntax is really cool, and it's a pretty powerful one, the one they landed on for ES6 is pretty cool. Um, so we can take that syntax and then compile it down so it works with any of the kind of standard JavaScript module loaders. We now support four different module loaders, but you just have to write the code once. Uh, so that's super cool. Um, and then there's like other little, I, I would call them like smaller features of ES6 that turn out to be actually pretty cool ideas. One of them is uh, string templates. So you know you can Imagine having like a, a single string, and in that string, I can put like I think it's like dollar sign curly, and then put an expression, and it will evaluate that expression in okay. the in the string. Okay, I think something is, is something like that is in I think C sharp six, right? Yeah, it's it's in a bunch of languages. Yeah, yeah. just having I think that. Just, kind of I think it got thing. added in C sharp six. Yeah, string interpolation. The features great. Right. That's right. Okay. That's right. Uh, the the way that ES6 goes, like if you will, one step further is they have a thing called tag string templates. 
And a tag string template takes that thing and then passes it through a function before it's done rendering. So it, it kind of offloads the interpolation to a secondary function. Um, so I started playing around with this, and you can use it for all kinds of stuff. So I, I wrote a little compiler that compiled out the, the, the code that came in uh, into, you know, for example, math expressions or uh, uh, regexes, or if you want to, you know, translate your, your strings. So now you have a, a single function that can do all the translation for you for all of your apps, so you can do internationalization. So there are some cool little features that seem like, oh, that's kind of neat. But then when you actually dig into them and, kinda, and, and start to use them, you're like, oh, wow, that, they actually put some serious thought into even the smaller features of ES6. Yeah, very cool. Um, anything else on that list? Like, uh, what are four of loops? <laughs> so this is what you thought JavaScript had all along, but never did. Yeah, it's so got like it, the dot for each. Right, so you have four in, and four in right. allows you to... Um, uh, to iterate over the indices of a container. So I, you know, I'm iterating over 0, 1, 2, 3. I think I'm iterating over the actual elements of the container. Uh, <laughs> but you're iterating over the indices. So you print it out, you're like, what is that? Okay. Um, so it's a, a kind of a common user mistake. They grab the wrong one. So for of fixes it and iterates over the elements. That's of the awesome. That's awesome. That's also um, be able to modify the language like that and just say, you know, this is what everybody wants to do. Here's how you fix it. <laughs> yeah, and and the the JavaScript guys are are all about like, okay, what patterns are in practice? You know, in major libraries. Oh, let's just let's just fold that into the language because obviously that's useful for a whole bunch of people. Um, some other TypeScript one five stuff. So we we talked about ES six. Uh, uh, Angular two uses a, a feature called decorators really heavily, which yep. is kind of a way of lifting out some of your concerns, separating your concerns. So for example, I can make a class, and then if I wanted to bind that to a data source, I don't have to stick a bunch of data calls or database calls into my class. I can lift all that into a decorator and say, all right, excuse me, when, the, uh, when I create this class, mm -hmm. go ahead and bind all these elements for me and then invoke this class. So uh, it does an inversion of control or a dependency injection, depending on your, your background. Uh, but you can kind of uh, do all your steps in order that makes sense for initialization and, and kind of pull out the code. Uh, short of actually seeing an example of that working in practice, you, know, you might have to just kind of trust me because that's a, yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's a bit much. Um, yeah. But when you actually start seeing the code, it, it's like we were talking about before. At first, you're kind of tripping over it a little bit. And then when you get it, you're like, oh, man. <laughs> that's going to be helpful because now I can just kind of pull out my connection and I can reuse that wherever I want to. Right. And like I said, we'll link to your blog post and mm -hmm. you have, you have an example in there. And I think that's, that's a, that's a great place to start. I love this too. Cause you have, um, you th you thanked everybody who contributed code to this version as well, which is really cool. Yeah. We're, I think there, we are con continually trying to get better and better about being open source. Uh, it's, it's a learning thing, you know, I yep. think the, the community is teaching us and, and we're just kind of going with it. So now that you've sold us all on, you know, the benefits of TypeScript and how to use it, how do I get started in my favorite editor? What's your favorite editor? <laughs> I was going to say, is, is it Visual Studio Code, Carl? Because then you're all set. No, you, you're, well, you're, in, you're in big Visual Studio more often, right? I am, yeah. yes. But, but I know that a lot of people out there use like Sublime and Atom and, you know, you name it. So one of the things that we did in the TypeScript project is not just the compiler. We made this thing called the TypeScript Language Service. Uh, it's it's kind of like a, a compiler that you can stand up and ask it questions. You know, here's my code. Now, what's the autocomplete for 
you know, this part of the source file right here. Um, as you can imagine, this is super helpful for editors. So w when we started it, we did it for VS and we did it for uh, Monaco, which was VSO at the time or became VSO. Mm -hmm. And then we took that same thing and wrapped it into an, e an even easier to use package. So now like you can get it for Sublime, you can get it for Atom, you can get it for VS Code and VS and Eclipse. And you know most editors have a TypeScript uh, plugin experience that's nearly identical to VS Code's experience because everyone's using the same language service. Uh, if you're using WebStorm, you know, for example, they have their own that they've kind of... Uh, wrapped by hand, but they're also kind of looking, oh yeah, this, this language service is actually a pretty cool idea. Maybe we'll use that eventually. So. Okay. Very cool. Now this is, this is like the biggest question that I wanted to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> so the roadmap shows async await, and I know you mentioned it earlier as, as well, and it says potentially in 1.6, at least whenever I looked at the roadmap, it was potentially 1.6. Now that we have one, one five, I'm hoping it's for sure in 1.6. So maybe you can answer that, but, um, you know, is this going to be as game changing as it is in C sharp? I mean, to me, like it, it see async await in C sharp was just like this massive, massive thing. I mean, it just makes things so much better. I mean, I always tell people how, you know, talk to people about how like Node.js is so fast just because it's async that that's why it's fast. And now in C sharp, it's really easy for us to create async code and it really speeds things up for a number of reasons. Um, you know, so like, you know, is, is that still planned for 1.6? And, and like I said, is it going to be as game changing as it is in C sharp? But is it, is it as big as what I think it is? It seems to be pretty big. A lot of people are asking for it. Um, so it's, it's a proposed feature for ES7. The Babel transpiler that we were talking about earlier already has implemented it. So they, they compile that down. And people are using it saying, oh my gosh, this makes things a lot better. Oh yeah. Um, TypeScript one of the things that we wanted to do to make sure that we did well was we wanted to make sure that we could type check it correctly. So it took us a little while to kind of come up with a nice model for how to type check, type check it correctly. And we are working on, I think we've got it uh, type checking and compiling down to ES6. So it uses other ES6 features uh, to, um, to, to kind of model the, the async await okay. infrastructure. There's so there, we're basically going to do it in two steps. So there'll be one step where we can output ES6, and then another step where we go all the way to ES5, and then let you use that. Uh, so it's we don't want to like hold on to it too long, but we also want to make sure that we get all the corner cases ironed out. Async await is uh, really it's probably one of the hairier ones to code gen correctly in all cases. Oh yeah, yeah. Because so, even uh, in C sharp, you know, like what it what it actually generates behind the scenes is you know like it's. I, I know that like really, really smart people can can look at it and say, yes, that's like syntactically correct. Um, but to me, it sort of looks like gibberish. <laughs> and I know Andres <laughs> has like has like stepped through it at different times and he's like, here's exactly how this works. And I'm just like, you know, I guess I don't really need to know how it works. I just <laughs> I just know that it works really well. Um, so are you I mean, are you gonna be able to literally be able to call um, you know, if I if I make an async function, am I gonna be able to decorate it like I can today? Uh, in C sharp, and then am I going to be able to say, you know, like, oh, you know, await var result equals await, and then just call my function and just use it like that? I mean, is it going to work as good as what I think it is? It should work just as you would expect it to work. I mean, it, it's it follows very closely to the C sharp um, way of doing async await. One of the one of the nice things that that we're doing on the JavaScript side is that there's already a promise. Uh, it's built on promises, 
Um, and promises have kind of been standardized over the last couple of years. Yep. So there's like one promise thing that all these JavaScript libraries are using. So you can use async await and then kind of use the version of the promises that, that you want to. I think actually ES6 has its own promise thing that hopefully other other things will kind yeah, of Yeah, I've been using the Q library. And the and the only the only issue I have with it is is just people who don't haven't used promises yet looking at my code. I mean, they got to be baffled. <laughs> right. <laughs> but with async await, like it's it's so powerful. I just it's one of those things where it's like just just deal with it. Yeah. It's and I think just like how the C sharp community kind of went through um, some growing pains around async await and coming up with like the right practices, it's, it's mm-hmm. going to happen the same way with right. with ECMAScript. So I see that this is fully open on GitHub. In fact, I'm looking at the page right now and I see that Anders Heilsberg like just made a commit. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Yeah, it, it, which is which is really cool. So how, how has the community been uh, interacting with uh, TypeScript on GitHub and uh, the fact that it's open source? It's, it's been great. I, I kind of alluded to it earlier that it's been kind of a learning process for us. Uh, when we first went open source, we were on CodePlex uh, back when CodePlex kind of had its you know, uh, heyday with all a bunch of Microsoft projects on there. Um, we we were kind of trying to figure out the best way to take pull requests, and you know, there's there's kind of reasons, you know, kind of the the the, the LCA side of things where we're like, oh yeah, okay, we need to work through some LCA stuff. The um, uh, and that's that was le- back legal in- and corporate affairs for people who yeah. don't work at Microsoft. Oh, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> basically lawyers. Yeah, the lawyers. I actually, I, I think they're great. There's a lot of really tech-savvy lawyers at Microsoft. Yeah. Um, but uh, so we kind of had to work work with them in ways of, like, how do we take pull requests and, and also protect Microsoft? So we worked through some of those details. Uh, the end result was, you know, long story short, we moved off of CodePlex onto GitHub, and we were able to start taking pull requests. Uh, and when we did that, it really started to open the doors. So we had people coming on, um, Looking at looking at the code base and sending us you know fixes for even small things at first, and then larger and larger things, and then they started writing whole whole features and sending us features, and uh, so we're like, wow, okay, that's great. How do we how do we manage doing this in a way that kind of keeps TypeScript healthy? And and so uh, we've been kind of learning how to do that. One way that we've started doing that is to take. Uh, you know, in the, in the earlier days, the design meetings were behind closed doors, and we took notes and we sent them to ourselves, and no one else saw them. Now, all the designs are done in the open as GitHub issues or pull requests. Everyone discusses them, and then when they get the thumbs up, then they go in. So it, it kind of flips it on its head, where you can actually see everything being done uh, on the inside. You see the whole sausage being made. I think. When people saw that they could see everything and interact with every stage of a feature going into the language, uh, that helped quite a bit. And a whole bunch of people kind of jumped on at that point. Okay. So is there a way for me to jump on like the latest code and use async await? <laughs> so, <laughs> I want this they, so bad. You have no idea. <laughs> Let me actually, I'm, I'm going to pull up the GitHub page right here. I will like send you like checks under the table or something if I can get like <laughs> async await. <laughs> I just, um, I got to have it, man. No, I, it, it, you don't have to answer that right now, but, um, yeah, I'm that's, that's for me, like that will completely seal the deal. Yeah. I think just watching for that to go in right now, we're working on the one six release. Yeah. Um, I don't see it. Oh my gosh. There's so many branches. I was looking gosh. at like Anders, like his, you know, he's like in there like modifying 
error message strings and stuff like that. But uh, oh, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of branches in there. Yeah. Oh, fun thing about Anders, um, you were talking about him committing code. I mean, he, so after we did the 1.0 release, mm-hmm. we had basically said, all right, here's the TypeScript language. Here's how the type system works. We're done doing all the major tweaks. Yeah. Um, we started adding some of the, the ES6 features we wanted to add. We're like, oh man, we kept changing the language so much that the code on, in the compiler is kind of a mess. Because you can imagine you do a bunch of changes, you change your mind, two weeks later you have to rewrite the code again, and, and you know, you've got, just got pieces everywhere. So uh, Anders kind of took it on himself to say, ah, you know, I bet I can come up with a nice, clean compiler architecture that everyone can use uh, when we're building all these new features. And I was like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> but, but, then, but then he goes home and he starts writing a parser. It's just like the first part of a compiler. It kind yeah. of slurps the code in, right? He, he writes this parser and he's like, oh, look, the, look at this, guys. I made a parser that's like five times faster than the current one. And we're like, wow, that's really cool, Anders. There's a whole lot to a compiler that's not just the parser. Right. He's like, you're right. And then he goes home and then he does. So it's, like, the, it's like day two. <laughs> day two. <laughs> like, like literally, there would be like a weekend. He would come back the next Monday and be like, all right, I wrote the code, Jen. And we're like, you're crazy. So over a period he's of like, a couple I know. Months, <laughs> over a period of a couple months, he's basically rewritten the whole compiler. Yeah. And he was like 90% done. It literally is five times faster than the 1.0 compiler. He's like, <laughs> all right, we're ready to move to it. And uh, we, we kind of hemmed and hawed because like, wow, like doing a whole rewrite between your versions, right. it's going to like slow everything down. But he's like, no, it's, this is going to work. And it did. It worked. We jumped onto it. Uh, <laughs> and then we started going a lot faster. So he's now like one of the major contributors to not just the language, but the compiler code base itself. That is so cool. And that's why he's Anders. That's why he's Anders. Yep. Very cool. Uh, anything else you wanted to mention with TypeScript before we move on? Oh, I'm, I think I'm good. I mean, if, uh, if anyone who's listening is interested, definitely check out the typescriptlang.org website and the, the GitHub site. There's lots and lots of cool stuff. And of course, the blog, we were talking about that before. A lot of the major announcements are there, and you can kind of track back through them and see some of the main stuff that was happening. Very cool. And then definitely check out uh, Visual Studio Code. Because like I said, um, you can just start typing in there and you get IntelliSense, which is really cool. Uh, okay, so Azure Pick of the Week, Carl, since you're giving me crap about this, I actually have on this week. <laughs> uh, announcing the Azure SDK 2.74.net. And I'm not going to go through everything in here. Uh, but one of the key things, and I, I think the blog post, I'm not I'm not uh, quite as um, well-spoken as, as the people who write these. Uh, but it, it talks about sign-in improvements. And I think what it fixes, if I had to guess, and I haven't checked this out yet, is that annoying, like, reprompt over and over again with Azure. I don't know if you run into that, where you want to deploy to Azure and you get, like, the, the login dialogue, like, five times in a row. You only have to fill it out, I think, one time, but then it sits there and pops up and goes away a whole bunch of times. Uh, I, based on the release, or based on what I'm reading in this blog post, it sounds like that may have gone away, based on what they're saying here. So that would be awesome. Um, so that alone is probably worth it. Uh, but there's stuff in here. Let's see, sign-in improvements. I talked about that. Uh, Cloud Explorer improvements. So um, that's actually a really great way to navigate Azure, being able to view all the different resources within Azure right from Visual Studio. Um, so that is much improved. Remote debugging for virtual machines in Visual Studio 2015. Um, lots of good stuff added in here. Um, some tooling around the, the, um, the Azure Resource Manager. Uh, so some uh, improvements in there if you're using that, which you should be for any new stuff within Azure. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, I have a GitHub project that I'm working on 
Um, I'm going to have a hack fest next week where we're working on continuing to build that out, but I'm, I'm working on a project where I'm trying to make it easy to build an architecture in Azure and then basically get back a JSON file that represents that and can have a single click deploy. Anyway, so I just sort of plug that in the middle of that. Uh, but yeah, so go get the Azure SDK 2.7 and we'll have a link to the blog post with all the information in the show notes. Carl, what do you have for the app of the week? The app of the week isn't for this week, isn't publicly available yet, but you can sign up to get Cortana on Android. Okay. Uh, we'll have a link in the show notes. Uh, if you fill out that form, um, uh, it'll actually ask you for your windows insider, uh, email address. So you need to be a windows insider. And I'll ask you for your Google account uh, ID. And then uh, once you get some uh, accepted, I got accepted in under two days. So I thought that was pretty quick. Oh, really? Out. Okay. Yeah. So I actually have a uh, um, an Android device for my Xamarin development that I do. And I put it on there and have been using it for a couple of days. And uh, it, it's definitely nice getting a little bit more familiarity uh, with Microsoft uh, code um, on my Android device. So, But uh, I know, Jason, you talk all the time about, uh, you know, having uh, all the different Microsoft experiences on the other platforms, it, it does um, uh, make a difference if you're used to it. Yeah. And so. Android isn't really neutered like, you know, iOS is, you know, as far as capabilities of what an app can do. So, I mean, is it, is it like this almost the same experience you get on windows phone? So it, it's not uh, fully complete, but it does do stuff like uh, it can check your email for, if you yeah. have a flight and include that um, it, uh, it can set your reminders for you. So it does have a lot of that access okay. that you're used to on Windows Phone. And that I would imagine, don't know yet, though, that the iOS version, when it does comes out, might be a little bit more limited with. Okay. Because Google now for the iPhone, I think, is like the stupidest thing ever. <laughs> because it, it it can't be proactive. Like Cortana is so nice because it actually, you know, she'll put stuff up on the live tile. Um, there's notifications. I, I guess you could still do notifications, but... Um, I don't know. I just found it really useful and it made me actually want to go in the app and look at that information. Google now is just sort of hidden if you're, if you're not on an Android device. So, and, and, and one of the other nice features that I didn't anticipate right away yeah. is because Cortana lives in the cloud on big services. All of my settings right. for my windows phone were instantly applied to my Google account as I logged in. Yep. That's very cool. Okay. So that's kind of neat. Uh, and then what do you have for the dev tip of the random interval? So this week <laughs> is a little bit easy, but I'm going to, I'm going to, Bring a, a caution with it. So uh, yesterday, Visual Studio 2015 came out. Yep. And if, like me, you are developing for Windows 10, that SDK does not come out till July 29th. Yep. Um, so be careful and wait until the 29th before installing the uh, Windows 10 SDK for 2015. It is not compatible with the uh, the preview versions of that SDK. Yeah, and so we're recording this just eight days before the launch of Windows 10. So it's like, by the time you listen to this, if you... If you haven't already sort of shot yourself in the foot with that, what I would do is I would just wait a couple days and then you can get everything. Like you can get the Windows 10 RTM, you can get Visual Studio 2015, which you can already get. Um, then you can get the SDK, you can just get everything and your life will be wonderful. Right, Carl? Exactly. Okay, perfect. Okay, Jonathan, I got to get this game out, but we play a game on here. It's for kids, but you know, we're all just big kids anyway. <laughs> it's called You Gotta Be Kidding. Okay, so... Uh, all you have to do is pick a number between one and four. And I'm going to ask you a question. Three, three. Okay. Would you rather lie in a pit full of worms or lie in a pit full of rats with no teeth? Worms. <laughs> did definitely you, worms. Did you ever expect to have to answer a question like this? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, rats are just creepy no matter what. Like, yeah. Worms, and they, like they still, I can handle. 
rats. Yeah, and rats still have claws, right? I mean, yeah. even if they don't have teeth. Yeah. So yeah. good call, good call. Okay, Carl, what what number are you picking here? Four. Four. Okay. Would you rather have? Would you rather have your school picture taken with just you as you happen to be making a really stupid face, or be sick that day and not get in the class picture that year at all? I would rather have a stupid face because yeah. I think that's how they all turned out anyways. <laughs> <laughs> oh there you go i was, I was gonna say i'd definitely pick the stupid face that, that's yeah that's probably where i'm gonna do either way okay oh okay so what do we have so jonathan uh so where can people find you i know carl's been collecting links but if people want to learn more about you and about typescript where should they go so the typescript links are typescriptling.org and github.com slash microsoft Microsoft, Microsoft, <laughs> Microsoft. That's a totally different thing. I'm sure. So I'm sure a squatter has that one. <laughs> That'd be awesome. GitHub.com/slash/Microsoft/slash/TypeScript. Um, I am on mostly on Twitter, mm-hmm. so you can reach me at at JNTRNR. Uh, and feel free to just like tweet out to me, and I'll I'll kind of respond. And if you have questions or anything, happy to respond there. And Carl, where can people find you? You can find me at WPDevGuy.com or on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And you can find me at YTechie.com or Twitter at Twitter.com slash YTechie. So, Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on here and talking about async await. (laughs) 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 That's what I was really interested in. No, thank you for coming on and talking about all this because we had listeners that were asking about it. And uh, this was great information. We really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. Be sure to subscribe by searching for MS Dev Show in your favorite podcasting app. Leave us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast aggregator of choice. Visit us at msdevshow.com where you can leave comments, check out our links, show notes, and more. Visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash msdevshow. You can send us your comments and feedback directly to feedback at msdevshow.com. 